Stay tuned for the Wine Crush podcast, where winemaker stories are uncorked. Wine Crush is supported by Country Financial Insurance. Welcome to Wine Crush, where winemakers tell the stories behind the vine. I'm your host, Heidi Moore. We are glad to have you here for the sixth episode of Wine Crush. Thanks for joining us on Portland Radio Project. Today, we will hear two new and intriguing wine stories. The first from a proprietor of a local urban winery, and the second will feature another family winery whose use of Prohibition-era heirloom grapes gives them a unique spot in the Pacific Northwest. So explaining the meaning of RAM wines, because there is an acronym behind it, is Roger Marks. Thanks so much, Heidi. Yes. So the name actually comes from a set of family initials, and it's not a vanity thing. They do happen to be my initials, but they're actually my grandfather's initials. I was named after him. So essentially the name pays homage to family and those who came before us and uh, recognizes the impact that my family had on my journey to this point, essentially. And my grandfather, Roger, was probably my biggest proponent as I was moving down this path towards finding my true passion, which is winemaking. Yeah, we talked about that when I was at the winery, and you were kind of explaining just your journey, because you started in the Washington area where there's lots of Washington wine, yet somehow you made it to Portland. So let's uh, let's see where your journey and your trail kind of starts and, and how you ended up here. Sure, sure. So if we rewind, go back to, let's see, I would say it was 2007 that I had the epiphany uh, doing a wine tasting up at uh, Kiona Vineyards up on the Red Mountain of Washington State to do a spring barrel event up there every year. And I was doing a a barrel tasting with one of their winemakers with a a group of other people. But uh, we were doing, it was a Cabernet Franc and it was done in four ways. One with new French oak, uh, neutral French oak, new American oak, and neutral American oak. And comparing those treatments and then doing, you know, blending trials on the spot with them. And that's the point at which I had my epiphany that uh, this is what I really have a passion for. Uh, up until that point, uh, I really hadn't found that moment for myself. So so everybody seems to have like that aha moment where they're, the wine hits them and it hits them kind of right between the eyes. And they're like, this is it. This is the the vintage that I love or this is, you know, the style I love. So yours was that. Absolutely. So did you start, was your family into wine? No, actually. Outside of the consumption of wine, no. Uh, No family history there in terms of the production. But like I said, when I had that epiphany and I shared that with my family after the fact, they were all very supportive of me going down this road. Then it was a question of, okay, great. So I have an interest in the science behind this and the process. Now what the heck do I do, essentially? And that's when I started attending school, Washington State University through their extension campus out in Prosser has programs for viticulture and enology, the science of winemaking. And so I did both of those while at the same time doing volunteer and some spot paid work at wineries here in the greater Portland area. And then I was running out to Prosser to their extension campus regularly. This is, you know, a couple of months out of the year for a long weekend out there to do the hands-on stuff as well over the course of basically a four-year span. Sure. So your first um, course of study was not wine, if I remember right. Uh, I, I started off with the viticulture side of things because I wanted to learn about the growth and okay. the cultivation of the wine grapes. Which which is super important because, I mean, with other episodes, we've talked to, you know, the winemakers and they're like, in their opinion, the wine starts in the absolutely. It, in the vineyard itself, not in the barrel. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, it, it's true that you could make a fantastic wine from great grapes, but you could make a terrible wine from great grapes as well. The bottom line is if you are sourcing grapes that are not up to the quality standard, then you, you're not going to be able to produce a quality wine, honestly. 
And so I wanted to make sure that I had a handle on that side of things. And my takeaway from that was honestly that I have so much respect for the growers. Um, It's not an arena that I think that I would find myself in just because there's a level of difficulty to that and a lot of variability, especially due to the seasonality and the pest pressure and everything. But I wanted to make sure that I had a good handle on that. Sure. So, okay, so you started in Washington, and that's kind of where this all blossomed and bloomed, and you ended up in Portland. So where and why did you end up down here? I actually ended up coming down to Portland. It was, I think, 2003 that I moved down here. I got a degree in information systems in eastern Washington right around the time that two things happened. Number one, the tech bubble burst, and number two, I realized that I wasn't super excited about being the person that interfaced with the folks that knew everything about the people side of things and everything about the technology side of things. And so took that business degree found retail employment down here and relocated to this area, but with no real clear path for what I really wanted to do with myself when I grow up. So, Well, you kind of landed in a great place. There's lots of wine down here. So we're going to talk more about your wine in just a minute, and we're just going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Roger Marks. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at PRP.fm. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast where wine stories are uncorked. I'm Heidi Moore. Our guest today is Roger Marks from Ram Cellars, and he's told us about his story and how he got to Portland from Washington and got himself into the wine industry. But now we're going to talk about some wine. Because when I stopped and saw you at your tasting room in Portland there, you had an entire lineup of wine for us to try. It wasn't just a couple varietals. It wasn't just a couple bottles. You have an impressive lineup for being a smaller winery in Portland. It's a fairly wide range of varietals, but uh, with sourcing grapes from different sites across the Northwest, it gives me the flexibility to choose to work with some things that are maybe outside the spectrum for what you would typically expect from this area. So... Yeah, the one thing that really caught my attention, I mean, they were all delicious and um, really enjoyed all of them that we went through and you explained all of it awesomely. Um, But you had a really cool lineup of rosé, which as we know, rosé is one of my favorites because it's just a great all-around wine to drink with friends. But you had four rosés and then you had an orange wine. So let's talk about those briefly and then we'll move into some of your other varietals and what you're doing differently. Sure, sure. So rosés wise, um, for the, the 2017 vintage, that was actually the first year that Ram Cellars has produced rosés, produced a rosé of Pinot Noir, a rosé of Cabernet Franc, and a rosé of Tempranillo, and then I also crafted a blend of the rosés of Tempranillo and Pinot Noir based on the the relative aspects of each of those rosés on their own as well. And then uh, to reference the orange wine, I also chose to do a full skin contact fermented conversterminer as well, which created that nice copper-colored orange wine that you had the chance to enjoy when we met. Yeah, something that I had not seen before, and um, maybe I'm just a novice, but I it was it was just kind of fun seeing something completely out of the ordinary um, with you. And speaking of rosés, you brought us a nice bottle today of the Tempranillo because you knew that was my favorite. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. thank you so much. Of um, course. Yeah, it's great for an almost summer day. Um, so let's talk about some of your reds. So you have quite a few reds and, you know, wide range from Pinot up through the big reds. Yeah. Pinot Noir is in the pipeline. That one right now is hanging out in barrel for a little bit longer because 2017 was the first vintage that I brought the Pinot in. But the core reds as part of the lineup are a Cabernet Franc, a Malbec, 
and then also a Tempranillo, which, of course, in order to source those grapes, I've, I can't get that stuff in our area. You know, you can't really grow those varietals of the Willamette Valley per se. Um, so for the Malbec and the Cabernet Franc, I source those from a vineyard site in uh, central eastern Washington, uh, nestled along the Columbia River Gorge, just on the Washington side, a couple hours out to the east. And then for the Tempranillo, I actually sourced that from a vineyard site about eight miles out of Roseburg, kind of in the hills down there in the Umpqua Valley. And in the case of the Tempranillo, certainly that varietal is available from that Washington site that I pick from for the other two reds, but there's just something about the soil and the climate down in the Umpqua and Rogue Valleys, in my opinion, that makes for a better Tempranillo, which is why I choose to work with that Roseburg site. Sure. And it seems like, you know, what your palate says and what your personal taste is, I mean, it necessarily isn't right or wrong. It's just, it's yours. And you're the winemaker, so you pretty much can make those kind of choices for you and make, you know, something that is truly you and yours um, for all of us to enjoy. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. honestly, that's one of the things that uh, kind of got me going down this road. The fact that each one of us in this room, we could take the exact same grape varietal and make a vastly different wine in the end from it. And that, you know, the, the science side behind that and the different choices that you can make, steps in the process, really um, keep the fire lit for me and help stoke my passion, basically. Sure. So it sounds like you have kind of a creative side to you. So are we looking at something new maybe coming up in the next year's barrels? Yeah, we'll have some new things in the lineup, definitely. Um, Any sneak peeks that you can kind of share? Well, I think this will be the first year that I bring in another, the other of the undersung, in my opinion, Bordeaux varietals. Um, I'm looking to work with some Petit Verdot this year, sourcing from the same vineyard site that I picked them out back in the Cabernet Franc from. And I think that this year I will end up producing a white wine from one of the red grape varietals as well. So hmm. some fun things coming down the pipe. Yeah, no kidding. That sounds pretty impressive. So let's, uh, let's move on to the next subject here in just a little bit. But thank you for telling us about the wines, and we'll be right back. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We are back with Roger Marks from Ram Cellars, who was just telling us all about his wine, and we also got a sneak peek that was coming up in the the next vintage, hopefully. So being in Portland, you're in a unique spot and that you're not in a traditional AVA, which we are associate with a lot of the other wineries out in the heart of the valley and, you know, Dundee Carlton. But you're part of a, a really cool urban wine group um, and association that I really want you to highlight and touch on because there's some great places in Portland. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ram Cellars is one of the member wineries of the Portland Urban Winery Association, which is a collective of wineries that produce wines within the city of Portland. So we're following that urban winery model where we bring the grapes and the wine into town to share with the people. One of the things that brings us together is the fact that we all face those same unique challenges where certainly in a more rural setting, you've got a lot more space to work with and a lot more capability to, if you need more space, if you need to move you know, things outside to create more space, you have that option. In our cases, a lot of our spaces are fairly space restricted most of the year. And then when it comes to harvest, when we have all those extra things going on, it can turn into a giant game of Tetris and gets really complicated very quickly. So what I would say is that's one of those things that sort of brings us together all on the same page because we face that same unique challenge. But it's certainly worth it to be able to bring the wine to the city and produce it and share it with the folks here in Portland. Yeah, it's interesting to hear the Tetris thing. I've I've been in a few uh, stock rooms when they're everybody's making wine and it is it's cramped. And so if you have multiple wineries doing that, it's it could be really interesting. I'd love to be a fly on a wall for that. Oh, it gets very stressful because of course that's the time of year when we're all you know 
working 18-hour days to knock these things out. And, uh, I mean, the space that I produce in, it's only actually two wineries that produce within that space, which is a relatively easy thing to do. There are uh, spaces in town where you have up to 10 wineries producing in a space similar to the size of Enso Winery where I actually do my production at, which I have no idea how they get through and I'll speak to each other after the season, but somehow they make it work. So Yeah, you just mentioned Enzo, and so I want you to kind of just touch base on that because you're the assistant winemaker there yeah. as well. And then actually my... Uh, my process of uh, – I actually ended up volunteering for them all of Harvest 2012 and then joined them in the summer of uh, 2013 as their assistant winemaker. So when I was ready to launch Ram Cellars, it made a lot of sense to partner with them for space. Um, and so I do obviously all of the Ram Cellars wines out of that space, but I also do at this point pretty much all of their wine production as well. So, I mean, it's a great collective setup where, you know, with multiple wineries producing in the same space, we're able to, there's synergies there where, you know, utilize the the same equipment and it, that shared cost really makes a big difference, especially for a smaller winery like Ram Cellars that, you know, really is, was started from literally the ground up. So Sure. Well, it makes sense to do that to kind of cut your costs because, I mean, there, it's not like there's a huge markup in wine that a lot of people think that you guys are just getting loaded, you know, from selling all this wine. So, um, yeah, I mean, the reality of it is, is it's, it's kind of expensive to produce wine. Yeah, and, yeah. and margins are very tight. So even, you know, being able to share equipment costs and those types of things goes a long way, which I think, you know, you, you see that not only in the urban winery setting, but in, you know, there are a lot of places out in the Willamette Valley where you've got multiple producers in the same space, but it makes a big difference. And the other part about that, too, is when it comes to harvest time, when things are so stressful and there's so things going on you know having multiple wineries in the same space and able to you know help each other out keep an eye on mm-hmm. things and give each other a heads up if there's something that requires attention when we're all so frazzled and worn out it makes a huge difference so sure it's like the walking dead during harvest it seems like exactly yes. like i i'm usually a, i'm always a fairly positive person but uh you would think i was a zombie if you hit me in mid-harvest when I bet. Things were really well i hopping. know exactly when to stay away so exactly we'll, we'll see after you guys have rested and uh, headed on vacation for a while so I'm assuming we can taste your wines at Enzo um, yes. there in the middle of town, um, but you also port events. So let's touch base quickly on your events and make sure that we get those out there because you always have something going on. Yeah, I, you know, I, I try to be pouring somewhere around, not just around the Portland area. Um, I have accounts actually on the Oregon coast. Um, I have some accounts back in eastern Washington as well, um, and some actually up in on the other side of the river up in Vancouver, Washington, Camas, Washington as well. Um, because I don't have a physical tasting room, I have to get out there and share the wines with people as often as I can. So I'm pouring somewhere almost every single week, which I do highlight that stuff on the website, ramsellers.com, and then also use social media. So Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to highlight that as well. Um, the two major events of the year that I do, I do a spring and a fall release that coincide with the Ram Sellers Wine Club. And uh, I mean, those are my big major events of the year, but every week you can find me pouring somewhere in Oregon or Washington. So. Perfect. So we'll just have to kind of keep an eye on your social media then and follow you on your busy trail of wine. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you, Roger, for coming in today and sharing and telling us all about Ram Cellars, and you'll find me back in your tasting room soon. Thank you so much, Heidi. After the break, we'll meet with Darren Ingram from King's Raven Winery. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. 
Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Now you'll meet another winemaker who's part of a family-owned and operated winery that has been around since 1942, Darren Ingram from King's Raven Winery. Welcome. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks for coming. Um, I wouldn't say all the way out here because between you and Roger, you are the closest that have traveled to come see us in the studio. Yeah, we're um, maybe 10 miles out of downtown Portland, just uh, south of Oregon City. Yeah, you don't really think, or I don't think of Oregon City, Canby area as being like a wine mecca, but there's quite a bit of wine up there. And some history, too. Uh, wine has been in the area from Portland out to Oregon City being the first city in the state, you know, back to the beginning of uh, white men coming to the Willamette Valley. So, yeah, interesting story in the area. Yeah, so your actual family property that you are third generation Correct. Correct. So it started as an Angus farm and some other things with your, your grandfather. So it was kind of a cool story. And I know we don't have time to go into all of it because I spent three hours with you almost. Um, but kind of let's briefly touch on not only the history of the farm, but you also had have had and do have multiple jobs as well. Because when I met you, you were king of the tractor out on the farm that day in the vineyard. Sure. Multitasking is nothing new to the farming you know, community and families. And uh, my family from my grandfather's side uh, in the valley dates back to the Civil War era when people were coming to the Willamette Valley. So he was born in Butteville and uh, went to Westland High School and worked at the mill, one of those kind of stories. I, supposedly an uncle owned the property. We now had opened, uh, but because of the, you know, the stock market crash, lost the property due to taxes. And uh, but through chance was able to acquire, reacquire some of it in the 40s. And so our family's been farming it now 76 years. So when did it transition from like a cow farm? And I think there was multiple vegetables and stuff they were growing at the same time into an actual vineyard. Sure. Well, um, throughout the 80s and 90s, uh, my father and I and grandfather all just uh, cattle ranch with the Black Angus and made hay. But uh, late 90s. Uh, through multiple influences, my parents also kind of planted a seed. Well, if you were in charge of this whole place, what would you do? And I kind of discovered that girls like wine. So I suggested we better plant some grapes and see what happens. And it's amazing what girls do to decisions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. uh, and I, well, I, I played in a band uh, out of high school, a local bands, uh, nothing notable really, but we played it all the, at the bars around town and, uh, you know, playing in the band wasn't working, so I, I figured I got to start growing some grapes, make some wine. Perfect. So, okay, so you mentioned the musician piece briefly because you still do that. That's still kind of a hobby. Yeah. But you've done some cool jobs. I mean, the, farming was not like your first go-to. It was my side job, actually, for many years in the last uh, 20 years that we've now been doing grapes. Um, I became a video producer and uh, traveled the world um shooting mostly high-end luxury sports and some Olympic-level uh, stuff. So a lot of sailing regattas, Ferrari races, trips to Italy, every racetrack in North America. Was, that sounds was terrible. Great. Yeah, it was a yes. lot of fun. Sounds pretty <laughs> awful. So you've gone around the world um, filming all this, you know, high-end sports and luxury stuff, and now you're a winemaker yeah. um, on a tractor, which, you know, there's nothing better than being on a tractor as far as I'm concerned. So what are you still doing? Are you just doing the wine now? I pick and choose, you know, a few, you know, video projects. And I'll throw out there that I do sit on the board of directors for the Friends of Timberline even. Um, so um, 
storytelling and hospitality obviously go hand in hand. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so learning that craft of storytelling through video producing um, has really kind of, you know, became synergistic with the tuning everything in from the weather to growing the grapes myself, making the wine myself, um, and then sharing the story with everybody. What yeah. good is the effort if, if we can't all sit down and uh, experience it together? So. Sure. No, I think it's that's a great view. So we're going to talk about your wine because that has a completely different view than the normal as well, and we'll come right back. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more... Go to countryfinancial.com. Okay, we are back and talking with Darren Ingram from King's Raven Winery on Wine Crush today. We made a little bit of a hint that you're using prohibition heirloom era grapes. It's kind of a tongue twister, so I had to think about it. Um, so there's lots of words in there that are going to pique everybody's attention. So why don't you uh, tell us what you're doing? Sure. Well, today we brought our Marshall Foch, which probably has the most name recognition for some of these heirloom grapes that were developed from the 1890s to around the 1930s and brought into the U.S. from France by a guy in New York, kind of in the suitcase fashion, you know, under the radar. But he distributed them all across the country uh, post-prohibition. And so Marshall Foch, we also grow Leon Milot, and uh, recently just released our first uh, 10 cases of Chalois. But one of the biggest advantages of working with them here in the North Willamette Valley is I can grow medium body uh, to big reds right here in the valley. Um, so I'm not having to go out to... Uh, a dry climate region in order to source grapes. I can grow them all in my estate. And so that's something I can help, you know, just keep a finger on each point because you find out quick in working in the winery that it is garbage in, garbage out. And while the wine pretty much makes itself in a good year, in bad years, and you, it could be a hot year, it'd be a bad year. There are many different things that, you know, affect how the grapes come out the other end of the growing season. Sure. I love the whole idea of the suitcase grapes. It seems very like kind of spy novel and, you know, just kind of mystery. You it, know, is. Laden. it is. It is. So, so why, I mean, why are we calling them suitcase grapes? They're kind of smuggled vines, correct? They are. Eventually, um, they became so popular in France. Post-prohibition, think about that. The world still relied on French, Italian, German, Spanish wines. Uh, America had really been out of the picture for decades and now became known for jug wine. Um, and how could an American wine stand up to, you know, these elite winemakers? And so a, a very notable, you know, competition in France, blind tasting, turned that tide of perception in the 70s also. But eventually the French outlawed many of these hybrids in which they actually created because uh, it created a wine glut for them. The growers were finding it so easy to grow good wine that Interesting. Uh, it depressed the market. Yeah. So I had never heard of any of these varietals before I came up. And it's, so it kind of blew my mind when you started giving me these wines that I'd never heard of, let alone tasted. And you have a white as well. So you have more than just the, the two that you mentioned. You have a white. And is there a fourth? Um, there's, so we do three red hybrids, the uh, Leon Milo, which is my favorite, and has a very sexy, you know, 
covert kind of background. I love it. Um, but Marshal Foch, in fact, um, the, uh, one of the other Reds is named after a French World War One general. So you can imagine the story of wine might be made, <laughs> named after him. But the third we produce Red is called Shawa. And that white is a German hybrid, actually, called Phoenix. So uh, as far as we know, we're the only producers on the West Coast here doing Shawa. And we think we're uh, one of only two wineries in the U.S. working with Phoenix. Which I think is really, I mean, it's really cool just in general, but it's very unique for the Pacific Northwest, who's known for its Pinot and then the Big Reds up in Washington. So for you to kind of stand out and kind of do this different approach is kind of refreshing. And it's a completely different experience when people come up and taste with you. I was kind of blown away because I, I mean, you use all your senses when you drink wine and the Phoenix in particular was very sweet on the nose. And so I was expecting a desserty kind of wine, yeah. but it was very dry on the palate. Right, right. I personally really like Sauvignon Blanc. There's a gap in what's being offered on the, on the grocery store shelf right now. And that's kind of that white dry wine. Things ended up going kind of sweeter, but it's not the right region to grow Sauvignon Blanc uh, here in the North Willamette Valley. So so Phoenix, Phoenix was it a is. really good fit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of these grapes do go back to the 30s here in the Willamette Valley, and we've taken cuttings on some of those to propagate and plant at yeah, our Yeah, I think that's, I just, I love the story, and I love kind of just, you know, your take on it. So thank you for sharing about the wines, and we're going to kind of move into um, what you're doing up there, because you do have a unique tasting room and atmosphere as well. listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast chock full of winemaker stories uncorked. I'm your host, Heidi Moore, and we have Darren from King's Raven Winery in the studio with us. So, okay, we've talked wine, we've talked your background, we've talked prohibition a little bit, we've talked spy novels, um, and but you guys have a lot of really cool um, things going on up at the winery itself. I mean, you're up on the hill, it's fairly rural between Canby and Oregon City, but tell me what you're doing. Even just the tasting room is different than everything else you're seeing in the valley. Sure, sure. I, well, we've decided long ago to bootstrap this, and so... It has been an effort to by the family just to uh, craft an experience to share this story, this amazing story that our family has, and providing good stewardship to the land along the way. And through storytelling, of course, movies and events and dinners and all sorts of different activities and experiences go hand in hand. So we developed a half-acre amphitheater in the middle of the vineyard, surrounded by vines, which I'm excited about, by the way. And I don't go to events on the weekend, but I'm coming. It's an amazing to that. view, yes. yeah. And uh, so coming up this summer, we've got a stargazing event that is uh, uh, hosted by the Rose City Astronomers Club. They bring out these enormous telescopes, dial in Saturn, the rings of Saturn, um, all ages kind of thing. You know, especially like this last year with the eclipse. You know, really neat because you have to get outside of the city to see everything. Oh, absolutely. And we're just far enough to be outside to really get a good view of the sky. But um, we also have a weekly yoga series, uh, an hour of yoga every Thursday night, followed by wine tasting, which often goes to sundown. <laughs> <laughs> so followed by two hours of <laughs> drinking wine. But um, That's a great yoga class. It is. I think you could get me into that one. <laughs> it's for mainly sure. for my own health benefit. Sure. But if you all want to join in, come on down. <laughs> Got it. Um, 
But uh, one of the other fun events that we do, and we've cut it down to just one time a year now, but we do an outdoor movie in that amphitheater every year, too. And this year we'll be screening Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, which is um, one of my all-time favorites, '80s classic, yeah. Yes. And who doesn't want a day off like that? <laughs> yeah, my kids kill me every time that I make them watch that, but they love it by the end. Whenever so. I'm sick, that's like the first one that goes in the VCR. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those movies that is very well quoted. Yeah. So that one's coming up in August, if I remember right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. August fourth will be the movie night, and uh, but you can check out all of our events on Facebook and Instagram. Um, sign up on our email at our website. Yeah, perfect. Kingsravenwine.com. So your tasting room is, I believe, your grandparents or your grandfather's old house, right? His little ranch-style house. And it was your dad that was pouring wine when I was there that day. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the original property was 40 acres with an old 1900 uh, farmhouse. And my grandfather had got tired of fixing it up to the point where he sold that in five acres and built his dream three-bedroom ranch further up on the hill, which he had always dreamed, you know, about this spot. Like, if I would ever build a spot, you know, yeah. build a house, this would be it. And so, and it does have an amazing view of the valley. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. you can see all the way to the coast range, uh, and the sunsets are just amazing. Yeah. The thing I liked about it up there is it, it was so quiet, and there just wasn't a lot around it to interfere with enjoying the wine, enjoying the view, and... Um, and one of these days I'm going to get up to one of the events as well. Well, pretty amazing for only 15, 20 minutes outside of downtown Portland, you know, so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it just, I couldn't believe how close to Oregon City it was and, and really how close to Cambia it was. Yeah. It's just really a quick kind of pop up the highway and then you're there. Anything else that we have going up here that we absolutely have to know? Uh, it's already passed since this airing, but uh, every year we have, um, you know, farm to table dinners. We also have a wine club. Um and uh, some of the wines, we can only get through the wine club currently. We only produce about a, uh, 1,100 cases a year, but it's all from our own estate. So we grow everything right there, make the wine right there, and you can see where it all happens. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for telling us about King's Raven wine and the uniqueness that it embraces. I am so happy you were able to join us. Thank you for joining us for the sixth episode of Wine Crush. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next time at the bottom of the glass. Thanks, Heidi. Heidi Moore, and we have Darren Ingram from King's Raven in the Winery. Oh, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> Let's start that one from the beginning. Ba -dum, ba -dum. Ba -dum.